welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcus Molitzis with a nasty allergy, along with Carrie Up Alamel with a house full of sick people. <laughs> it is that kind of day. A lot of, a lot of COVID positive people in my household, and I'm like, I'm like the last man standing, and I'm a little concerned about it, to be honest. But here I am. Uh, maybe you have a superpower. But we have a guest, it looks like. Oh, we do have a guest. So let's talk a yeah. little bit about that. Um, let's do Carrie, you've been talking about North. You've been writing about North Carolina, and North Carolina is is both a. Uh, uh, it's been a disappointing story, as of late, um, and uh, I know you've been writing about it. I'll right. let it's, you... it. It's been it's been for two cycles. It's been ripe with possibility, and then just we can't quite bring it home. Democrats, Democrats. I yeah. mean, in twenty twenty, we lost it by one point at the presidential level. In 2022, when Democrats made gains in all in several battleground states and and basically won the election, North Carolina is one of the really sort of down spots. I think we we uh, lost the Senate race by a couple points, and that was a we had a great candidate. There's a lot of hope there. Republicans were able to redistrict, redraw the lines, and they had a near supermajority. And what happened to that, Carrie? Yeah, well, <laughs> they had a near supermajority, and then. There was a Democrat who ran. Um, for, she was actually a veteran Democratic lawmaker who ran in a new district. I think it was a new, um, newly drawn district, and she won. Um, and she ended up switching parties uh, at the last second uh, after after being after being she gets sworn in. She switches parties to Republicans, gives them a supermajority, and she also ran as a pro-choice Democrat, someone who would protect. A woman's right to choose. Now, Republicans ended up with a supermajority in both chambers. Within a month of her switching, they went and they forced through a 12-week abortion ban. Um, there were four GOP lawmakers, her, her being one of them. There were four GOP lawmakers who said who had run on pledges to protect a woman's right to choose, and then went ahead and. They just rammed it through. And uh, of course, the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, vetoed it. And then they and then Republicans used their now supermajority to override that veto. And so in North Carolina, now you're going to have a um, they're, they're going to have a 12 week abortion ban. Um, but it's at the devil's in the details, too. There there's a lot of like murky language that makes it uh, really worse than it sounds. Um it and I bad without the murky language. I don't yeah, even think right, it's right. It's but here's, story. here's the thing. So so Biden lost North Carolina by a point in 2020. And really beyond this, beyond what have become the bet, the, the perennial battleground states in the Trump era, which is, you know, the the um, the upper Midwest, um, Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania is going to not like being called upper Midwest. But anyways, <laughs> the Rust Belt, Pennsylvania, you're not supposed to say that either. Michigan and Wisconsin. OK, then there's also Georgia and Arizona. We're all used to that handful of states. You know, Florida is like barely a swing state anymore. I mean, yeah. it's like, you go. you know, I mean, we won, Florida, of, we won a lot of other stuff we didn't need to win anyway. Yeah, right. Ohio is is sort of out of reach. Texas, we keep wanting, but just can't get. We're not quite there. But North Carolina could legitimately be in play. And that and the reason and, and not the reason, but one of the things that could help 
particularly is this issue of abortion and an abortion ban being enacted because people did not have time to ruminate on what it would mean when Roe v. Wade was struck down by the Supreme Court last year um, before the midterms. And somewhere like North Carolina, they've had time to ruminate on it. There's a lot of suburban women who I think are not going to be super excited about that. And that is probably a good time for. Yeah, Carrie, I was going to say, I think it's time to bring in our our guests. And this is (laughs) this is solid, man. I'm excited that we have her on Anderson Clayton. She's the chair of the North Carolina Democratic Party, but not just any chair. <laughs> she is uh, 25 years old. Does You look like you're like head of the campus Democrats. And I'm sure you get that a lot. I mean, I just read a New York Times profile on you. Where, that's that, wait, 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 let's just say, let's just say that's a compliment where you, you're talking to two 50, 50 year olds. You're actually just jealous of that. It's not like, <laughs> so look jealous. like head of the campus Democrats. It's like you look like head of the campus, campus Democrats. I want to look like the head of the campus Democrats. <laughs> exactly. 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 But, okay, sorry, go ahead. But this has been, you know, Anderson, I would love to hear how you got this job, how you even decided to run. I mean, this is an incredible story and it's exciting. And you have some incredible thoughts and ideas about how to turn North Carolina around from being this perennial light, you know, red state into, you know, actually starting to win some elections again and maybe roll back these Republican gains that we've, we've, we've suffered in the state in the last few years. So uh, tell us a little, first of all, hi. <laughs> I haven't even given you a chance to say hello. <laughs> no, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you both for, for having me on and, and also for just for caring, you know, and not forgetting about us down here in the South. I, I really do appreciate Are you kidding? Forget about North Carolina. Are you kidding? No way. No way. No. We want it. We want North Carolina. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. Uh, But I'm happy to be on and and happy to share a little bit just about my my background and and how I got here. It is kind of random to be the 25 year old state party chair and the youngest one in the country. Sometimes I feel like I should be collecting a a lot, probably. I I feel like I should be collecting a donation for the state party every time someone says it, though, to be honest with you. all I would have raised a lot more money by now, probably. is really brewing just because I think like so many folks are really seeing a new energy and a new generation take over the the state party, but also form what we want to see the Democratic Party become. Um, I'm from rural North Carolina, so a little tiny town called Roxboro in Person County. And I, I give a big credit to where I come from or how I think about organizing and the way forward that our party needs to really take the direction of. But I got in this job through a lot of hard fight and organizing from young folks across our state who are ready to see a new direction. And that's exactly what this is right now. So I'm excited. Wow. So, I mean, this is where this is where Anderson and North Carolina sort of fit right into the nexus of all these things we've been talking about. Um, Number one, battleground states. Uh, Number two, states that are gettable, that are within reach, especially if we can motivate young people and if we can win uh, swingy suburban districts, right? If we can win over women. And then we also talk some about um, uh, rural areas and how, you know, it seems like democratic policies actually play well in rural, rural areas, but Um, The brand just seems to be toxic in a lot of cases and whether or not. And then we've also talked a lot about abortion and what kind of a new foothold that might give uh, Democrats maybe a new opening for Democrats to talk to people who hadn't been willing to listen to us before. So um, you can take any one of those like you could talk about young people. You could talk rural. You could talk, you know, you can talk abortion. I mean, it's just like. It's like a panoply. Just go ahead and, and pick your 
your your your angle and we'd love to hear what you have to say I mean, about that is your you... that is your buffet right that's what you have to yeah, pick right. from you yeah. have a lot of pieces to build a, a majority democratic uh democratic majority north carolina so how do you go about doing it with those pieces well i was gonna say actually if i'm doing it right i think i do it with all of them and i think that the framing that i've really taken is that we don't have to walk like we can walk and chew gum at the same time we don't have to choose one or the other and the real mentality across our state for the last decade has been you know urbanization is going to save north carolina and the fun fact about our state is that North Carolina actually has the second highest rural population besides Texas when it comes to people, because we have really dense rural communities within them. And a large majority of those communities are specifically higher majority black and brown areas that our state party just has never had, I feel like, the real ground game and infrastructure in. Like Georgia. Knock those doors. Yeah, just like Georgia. Oh, my gosh. And the Deep South in particular. But I tell the story a lot. You know, when I how I got into this role is that I was the person county Democratic Party chair. I came from a rural place. Right. And never really found myself. How many people in that county? It's 40,000 people okay. are in the county. Um, and I've got 8000 people within the city of Roxborough. And okay. so. I'm um, small enough, but I'll be honest, some of my Midwestern states are like, Anderson, that ain't rural. What are you talking about? Rural? Like, <laughs> so it depends on what your definition of it is. And uh, I joke with folks. I'm like, when you've seen one rural town, you've seen one rural town. So uh, everywhere is a little bit different. We're not monolithic, uh, un- unfortunately, for everyone's um, opinions. But uh, Person County, when I took over being the per- like party chair there, we had city council elections that the county party and the state party had never really been invested in or looked at. And 51% of the city of Roxborough was black, right? And Person County may be an R plus 20 county, but it still had so much movability when it comes to what we could do on our city council. And so we actually ended up flipping the Roxborough City Council in 2021 from red to blue. We put three amazing black Democrats, Shana Outlaw, Peter Baker, and Cynthia Petty on our city council and ended up really galvanizing a group of folks that had never found their votes to be important or worthwhile or elections really worth coming out to. And so for me, one of the main priorities of the state party this year is candidate recruitment, you know? I want to put people in every seat. I want to give somebody somebody to vote for because we know that democracy is not democracy without choices. And a lot of our Democrats, especially in rural North Carolina, haven't had somebody else to vote for in a really long period of time. And so we want to make sure that we have good candidates running on policies that are local to the communities that they're in and that are actually affecting, you know, their own backyard. People ask me all the time, Anderson, what direction do you want the party to go in, left or right? Like, which which way you headed? And I'm going, forward. <laughs> Whichever way that that looks like in your own backyard, I want us to go forward. And I think that looks differently across many different places in North Carolina. And so giving the flexibility of a message to reach Eastern North Carolina and our sand hills, but also Western North Carolina and our foothills and being able to say like, this message is something that we can give everyone, which is the fact that we believe in in freedom and opportunity for everyone, regardless of what your zip code really looks like in North Carolina. So that is my message for my rural folks and also hopefully some of my urban communities too. And then my younger people, I really do believe we've got to get back and active on college campuses. Um, HBCU turnout was the lowest it had been since 2010 in North Carolina last cycle. And we, and we had a great black Senate candidate. When we did, right? But we didn't have the outreach on those campuses, I feel like, that we needed to have had early on to help educate folks. Like, you know, when you look at A&T, one of our, our large historic black colleges right in North Carolina, they are gerrymandered, right? Our state is racially gerrymandered. And so half of their campus, 5,000 students sit on one side in one district and 5,000 students sit on another side in another district. And so they vote at two separate polling locations, right, on election day. And that's confusing. And so having somebody on that campus year round to educate students about what that's like 
and, and how you register to vote and actively doing that is something our party is going to be very focused on this year. It's making me really hopeful listening to you because Anderson's got a big picture vision and she's ta- but she's talking about granular issues at the same time. Right. So, you know, when you're when you the big picture is we can do it if we get these demographics out. Also, there's this voting place in this one in, on this one campus and, you know, half people have to vote over here and half people, you know, I mean, like these th- that's from big picture to granular. That's the type of thing that can that I think can can actually, uh, you know, move a vision into a reality. So anyway, go ahead, Marcos. Go Absolutely. ahead. And that's just an intentional confusion, it. right? Republicans on purpose are making it harder for people to vote. And that just doesn't mean just restricting their ability to vote and get registered, but also making it so confusing that they don't even know where to turn out and cast their ballot. This is on purpose. It's intentional. And this is a, what we're facing as a movement because it's a Republican party that knows they cannot win on a broad electorate. They know they're the minority party. Yeah. Um, Anderson, everybody sort of, not everybody, a lot of people, a lot of liberals like to like rag on the Democratic Party, like, oh, the party doesn't do this and the party doesn't do that. And in reality, there's limits to what the party could actually do, right? The candidates matter more. Tell us what can a party do? What is within your ability to influence? One of the places that I think the party has not played a big role in, and we did in 2008, right, is recruiting more people to join our party. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Folks look at me all the time and they're like, Anderson, why are so many people registered unaffiliated? And I'm like, because who's registering them to vote right now, right? Nonpartisan organizations that are actively on college campuses. You know, when I was registered to vote for the first time, I was registered by the Watauga County Democratic Party at Appalachian State University. They had people there during Welcome Weekend and at the midnight pancake breakfast that Appalachian State did for their students, right? Like they were there with clipboards and they said, are you registered to vote at your current address? And like, we can get you registered at your dorm. We can, we can help you do that right here. And really going to people and meeting them where they are, I think is the role and the response responsibility of the party. The two jobs that I would say that we have to do this year that we have not done in the past is really to protect our incumbents and get out our base. Um, you know, President Biden lost uh, North Carolina by 100,000 votes in 2020. Sherry Beasley lost our state by 134,000 votes in 2022. Um, Sherry Beasley won, though, five House districts that we lost. And when I was hearing y'all earlier talk about the realities of abortion rights right now in North Carolina and the restricting of that, you know, if the Democratic Party, if we had done our job with getting out 500 more people in some of these House districts last cycle, we also would still have Governor Cooper's uh, veto power and, and proof and majority in that sense. And so, or we wouldn't be in a super minor or super minority right now. We would still have the power to uphold that veto. And so, for me, I, I think our state has really won and lost on the margins. And this year, I am chasing after the margins and every cranny and nook and corner that they might be in in North Carolina right now. To be honest with y'all, so um, those are definitely the things that I'm looking at. Let me just follow up on that and repeat what you're saying is is that Sherry Beasley, because you 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 know the specifics so much much better than we do. Um, Sherry Beasley actually won five districts that ended up um, that Republicans ended up winning the actual seat. Right. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about like a good example of it. Right. The first ever Hispanic uh, state house of representatives member, Ricky Hurtado, lost his seat last cycle and he lost that seat by 500 votes. Like, you know, you have um, Brian Farkas out in Pitt County in eastern North Carolina that also lost his seat by around 600 votes. Like a lot of these things were places that the party should have been active in. Forsyth County to me, like Carla Catalan Day lost a house seat by 2,000 votes there. And I'm like, those are doors that the party should have been knocking. And we should have had the infrastructure there to do that. And we didn't. 
Right, I, right. I, I okay. now suddenly understand how you won <laughs> your position because <laughs> that is an incredibly <laughs> powerful argument to make against. A well, I, did, I went down ballot too with it, Marcos. Right, like you had uh, Judge Denise Hartsfield in Forsyth County lost her race by less than seventy votes. Kimberly Best in Mecklenburg County lost lost her judgeship by seventy seven votes. Like. Those are places where it's just like, no, actually knocking a door and getting someone out to vote made the difference. And there are so many people in our party right now that I feel like have this disgruntled feeling towards like how much field actually cost and the the opportunity and the ROI on it. But I'm like, no, those were actual investments that we should have made in that in order to be able to get back votes and, and actually have those seats. Let's zero in on Mecklenburg County for a second. Isn't that where Trisha Cotham hails from? Um, okay, so Trisha Cotham is the is the previously Democratic legislator that I talked about at the at the open. I gave sort of a blind lead on, um, but that's her name. Okay, and she was a Democratic veteran lawmaker who just recently switched to Republican. She also ran on a pro pro choice, protect a woman's right to um, reproductive freedom. And then and then went ahead and turned, uh, you know, turned turncoat, turn, <laughs> you know, changed parties and then actually voted for that 12 week abortion ban. But she you're saying that. So she won as a Democratic lawmaker that she represents Mecklenburg County. Am I right? I just want to make sure I'm right. Yeah. Okay. No, Mid Hill. Good on HD 112. Uh, I just H- voted 60 percent for Joe Biden in, in 2020. Uh, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yes. OK, so she won that. But the but the judge lost it. Well, yeah, two different parts of Charlotte. But yes, in that sense. Like a, okay. in two different areas, okay. I mean, but yes, absolutely. Gotcha. Really best lost that seat. And uh, okay. Representative Cotham, I think, you know, the name recognition is obviously there in Mecklenburg County for her. That was definitely one of the, the areas that I feel like she was strongest in is just the fact that like her mom is also on the board of county commissioners in Mecklenburg County. So that's another interesting caveat here. as a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. yeah, it's so lots of things awkward. there, to be okay. honest. It is a little bit awkward. Yeah. Um, well, t- Tell me, tell me what's going to happen in that county, which is which is mostly suburban Charlotte. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So what's going to what's going to happen in that county? Do you think like what are your opportunities given what just happened? Are those voters going to feel betrayed? Do you feel like there's um, there's maybe some southern women who who had had trouble even imagining themselves ever voting for a Democrat who might like actually think about that now? I mean, I don't know. Like, what's what's the what are what are your what are your avenues there? Yeah, I mean, I think that she made it really hard for people to trust a process, right? And that's something that I think about. You know, if I was just her, one of the things that I would make me not be able to sleep at night, I think, is the fact that I've made people question whether or not democracy and whether or not your vote actually counts, right? And so for me, one of the things that the party is really trying to do is going in and making sure that we're canvassing her community, her neighborhood, in the sense of like her backyard, right? And letting folks know that's not what the Democratic Party is going to do in 2024. And we actually do plan to vet candidates really strongly but we know that Republicans have been putting people in our primaries for a long time, right? That's not new. If you're in a blue state right now or in a blue area in a, in a, in a state, you know that Republicans know that's the only way to win elections sometimes. And I keep going back to that or having to revert back to it. I think Marcos had mentioned it earlier, just like the, um, the concept of that Republicans can't win elections unless they are cheating in some capacities, right? And that to me is exactly what this was. It was cheating voters. And, and I do believe that like voters are going to come back and really make that a 
um, a, a election that is on Trisha Cotham, right? It's a repeal and a recall on her, even though we don't actually have recall elections in North Carolina, which I also feel like everyone got a civics lesson when Trisha Cotham did this in our state because so many people ask, can we recall her? Like, can we do this? And unfortunately, thanks to our Republican state legislature, you cannot do that in North Carolina. So uh, we're stuck with her right now, but we do plan to vote her out in 2024. The broader national trends are that college-educated suburban white women and maybe there's hints that white suburban college-educated men mm-hmm. are trending in our direction, but the rural areas are, 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 are not, that the, the brand is so toxic. Uh, how does that match up to what you're seeing in North Carolina? I think it's the same thing. I tell folks like the Democratic brand is not good in, in Person County or in any place that I've been in across the, the rural parts of our state. And I think that's because we haven't had a message there for a really long time. When I look at the fact that we don't have, you know, a hundred strong county party operations in every single county in North Carolina. And it's like, we've let people tell the story for us, right? The Fox News rabbit hole and the silos that rural folks have been forced into, in my opinion, has really made it so that you only get one form of information right now. And if you don't have Democrats in that county that's willing to come out and say, no, I'm a Democrat and here's what I stand for and here's why I'm standing for it. And, and really, those folks are oftentimes like your nonprofit leaders. They're your school teachers. They're the people in your county that actually really make your county run and care about the people that are um, the most in need. And so when I've, I've challenged my party this year to really become the party of service, you know, like this is a, a place that I feel like we can fill the gap because the pandemic brought it out more than ever that rural communities and people in these areas are not thriving. They're surviving, right? They're just living and, and they're not really able to ever reach that Um, economic freedom or that opportunity, I think, to really see themselves in any other place. And that's something that the Democratic Party right now is fighting really hard to get folks to say, like, we believe in your future in a rural place right now. The Affordable Connectivity Program, the American Rescue Plan Act, and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, the things that these pieces of legislation are saying for the first time in 40 years, right, is the fact that the federal administration believes that rural America deserves to have a future 50 years from now. But is that message getting through though because we've seen it before where where money gets spent the democrats don't get the credit for it or they don't know how to even claim credit for it yeah i mean well like without without an operation in these places no right and that's where i'm like the infrastructure i'm trying to build is all based around that it's based around like are we knocking doors letting people in these rural areas know that like joe biden does is trying to get 30 or has given 35 dollars a month insulin right like i had someone that came to the democratic party office the other day that was calling it he said you know my wife is still paying 500 dollars a month for insulin how do i get joe biden's 35 dollars a month insulin Ooh, yeah. And I said, you know, have you talked to your doctor about switching the like the drug company that you're using to get your insulin through? Because Eli Lilly is who you have to use right now for that. Or at least like some of the, the questions that you have to ask folks to take them through that process. That's where a Democratic Party, in my opinion, is supposed to be playing in action right now. And we haven't been over the last six years or last decade about like what Democrats at the federal level are doing. But it's hard to translate down, Marcus. You're not wrong. Like genuinely. It's not easy. Yeah. Carrie, we, we heard that. Remember we talked to the organizer, uh, Democratic Party organizer in Arizona in Navajo Nation, and she said that was exactly her strategy. Is it was turning the Democratic Party into a service organization again. So it's not just somebody that comes around asking for their vote every couple of years or every four years. It's actually an organization that is present and active as a civic institution providing those kind of services. So I'm hearing that this is what you this is your vision. 
Yeah, I think it's a vision for a lot of folks that maybe see a different direction of our party going forward and are kind of like, how do we enable people to see that government's working for them? Because so many people, and especially in rural North Carolina right now and rural America, just don't, right? And and even in urban communities, I think it's the same thing where folks just feel so detached from what's happening. How do we let people know that, no, like government is supposed to be a constituency services organization, basically. Like we're here to connect you with the needs that you have and get you help. Like that is the main thing that we do. So there's two things too that I wanted to just um, just pound home, which is uh, number one, you, you talked about economic freedom. And as a big picture uh, message, it's great. The freedom to thrive, right? You also talk about thriving. And mm-hmm. freedom is just such a good word right now because, you know, because Republicans nationally and also locally and at the state level are trampling freedoms left and right. So it's a great, you know, freedom is a great word. Um, the second thing, and uh, you're going to have to excuse me because I'm hoping I can come up with <laughs> <laughs> um, freedom but, is literally the 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 Republicans ceding the freedom narrative to the Democrats is is it's definitely one of like Carrie's like big big uh, yeah. storylines this year because mm-hmm. it's just so implausible. <laughs> yeah, such a gift. Yeah, it's such a gift. Here's the other thing you said: Biden's thirty five dollar insulin. Like I just love that as a messaging point. That's Biden Biden's thirty five dollar insulin. If we can get people to talk about that as Biden's thirty five dollar insulin, mm-hmm. that that is genius. And if we start talking about it like that, I'm going to come back and say, you know who said it first on our podcast? It's Anderson Clayton. Well, Carrie. I got to give it credit to the man that came to my door the other day and told me that because I said, oh, he's calling it Biden's $35 a month. It's like, I like you that. I like that. You can't so argue with yeah, voters. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. can't argue with voters. They're the best messengers. OK, so here's here's my next question, which is an actual question and not just me blathering on. What's your who, who which state is your North Star? Like if you look at a state that's done kind of what you're hoping to do, is it somewhere? You know, I think of like Georgia, which is next door. But then I also think of like Ben Wickler in in, um, you know, in Wisconsin. He's and, the state and, party chair of, of uh, no, state party chair. Trust me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Trust and, me. <laughs> Oh, we not for you, for everybody else. We, we didn't, oh. That's for our listeners' sake, in case they don't know <laughs> yeah, who no, Ben Wickler is. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Ben Wickler's, my goodness. <laughs> no, our, yeah, our, yeah. our audience is very, very, uh, very smart about politics, but that might be even a little too inside baseball yeah, for a lot of Yeah, naturally, naturally. Yeah. It's so funny, yeah. State party chair so, <laughs> Yeah, so what What kind of, what? I mean, is there a model out there, or you kind, do you kind of feel like, no, we just, we've got our own you know, specific situation in North Carolina, and this is what we're doing. Well, I feel the same way about how I look at states, as I said about the towns thing. You've seen one rural town, you've seen one rural town, you've seen one state, you've seen one state, because we are all so different. But I love the organizing, like, kind of apparatus that uh, actually Chair Barnes in Michigan has built around her right now. Um, Chair Barnes has 14 organizers that have been with her since 2017. And I think, like, they are, as she defines them, Swiss Army Knives. They can do anything on a campaign that you would – want them to. And I think that when we're looking at how do we build out sustainable year-round infrastructure, it's really resourcing our volunteer base, right, with the tools and the trainings that they need to do the, the organizing in their own communities. And for me, that is like creating a structure that has people like that, that can kind of answer any question on a campaign, can help someone that's local, like getting started with a race or whatnot too, and can kind of answer all those things. Wisconsin's like a dream, I'll be honest with you. Like, but Chair Wickler has made that entire operation up there, like, 
bonanza, I feel like. And, and it's the, the North Star for anybody, I'm sure, that's looking at state party land. But I think realistically where I'd like to get within the next two years, the next four years of North Carolina is really building up what Michigan has. And then hopefully my eight years can look more like Wisconsin can in that sense. Well, I mean, well, I got, I, Wisconsin, I mean, Michigan were winning elections by eight to ten points and in Wisconsin were winning them by a couple. So actually Michigan would be kind of everybody's <laughs> Michigan, dream. Michigan would be too shabby. Ben Hitler also, though, like he's got a lot of staff on the ground up there. So I'm like, when it comes to what I'd actually like to be able to produce uh, financially at some point in time, it would be that because I think. Okay, well, that that is a perfect segue to my next question, which will also give you an opportunity to to tell people where to fund, you know, where they can go to donate to your party in North Carolina. But what do you need? What kind of resources? And it might just not be financial. I mean, what, what maybe it's. The st- well, they all it all comes back to financing. But like, what, what do you need in order to get to where you want to go? Yeah, that's the funniest thing. The phrase I've used throughout the last three months, because I've only been in this job three months, right? I said, man, it costs a lot of money to be creative in state party land, y'all, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, as, a state, as a county party chair, you could do a lot with a little. You know, I won three city council races with about $2,500 in a bank account, and that was something, and you could do a lot with it. But it's a bit different in this sense. I think – we need, um, we need money to enable like good training programs. I, I come from the campaigns of like Iowa when Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren had their operations there. I worked for both of them when I was an Iowa caucus organizer. And Elizabeth Warren just had this like way of having organizers that were so trained. You could ask them anything about her policies, about how she thought about something. And these organizers knew it, right? And they were so well like well-versed on her. And I think that they, it made her, it made them such good spokespeople for her at a door, right? Cause they could answer the questions that people had about her. It wasn't like, Oh, I need to go check with the candidate on this and see where their policy is or see like what this kind of looks like. And while organizing, I think across North Carolina is going to be different than that. I want volunteers across our state that are that well trained to go out and talk about um, our, you know, governor candidate, our Lieutenant governor candidate and everything else down ballot in between, because I think that the, training apparatus that we need is there so right now we don't have that though we are understaffed in the state party and so if anyone listening to this is a good trainer on voter registration or anything in the sense of phone banks and stuff like that i would love to have any sort of um help in the meantime because we are building up a good operation here and are getting it going but i think that's what really a state party could use right now yeah we we should uh okay we should talk to our activism department and see about uh uh, get north carolina into our uh into our rotation into the mix yeah. 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 You might have some, you might have some influence there, Marcos. <laughs> like, do I admit how little influence I have? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm excited. So I know we're almost out of time. So Anderson, can you tell us what's at stake in North Carolina in there's nothing happening this year that that I, I don't think anymore. So what's at stake yeah. in 2022? Municipal races are happening uh-huh. this year. What I will say, and Battleground 2024 starts with Battleground 2023 for us because there are <laughs> city council seats and mayor seats in places in some of these areas that we should have that should be Democrats. It should not be Republicans sitting in those offices anymore. And um, so we are prioritizing and really trying to pick off, honestly, where are municipalities that could be Democratic strongholds and build that back up. Um, we are trying to recruit candidates to run for every state house and Senate race this year because we left 44 seats uncontested in the state house and state Senate in 2022, um, which is the most that we've ever left uncontested in state history. And so finding a candidate to run in every single one of those races. And I'm very lucky. My good old governor has uh, agreed to pay the filing fee for anybody that wants to do that. And wow. when you put what's on the line in that capacity is because, um, you know, we are really are looking at 
I, I just think human rights. And, and I put that in front of people as though, you know, we've seen a regression in voting rights in the last three weeks. We've seen a regression in women's rights. We've seen a regression in bodily autonomy, LGBTQ rights, like the actual persecution of our citizens is what we're seeing right now in North Carolina. And for me, when folks look at me and they say, you know, what gives you this resolve to keep fighting for a state that's probably made you so mad over the last six years? It is the fact that no one deserves to cede ground anywhere to a party that has fully endorsed white supremacy and oppression of black and brown people across our state and also just in general, our, our community as a whole. And I think that North Carolina just deserves better. And so I think that not only are your rights on the line, but also your right to public schools. Um, North Carolina Republicans right now are trying to gut public education. They're also trying to limit the ability to restrict, honestly, guns in our communities. The pistol permit repeal vote was the first one that actually Trisha Cotham walked on. And pistol permit was something that you had to have, that you had to get through your county sheriff whenever you like applied basically to own a pistol. Um, and they took that away. And it actually ended up putting more guns into rural communities this year. And so when we're looking at public safety and really prioritizing our people and our children, I think that you're voting Democrat no matter what in 2024 and 2023. All right. So, so I'm going to take a point of personal privilege because I know Marcus wants to wrap this up but one last thing do you have a do you have anything that you think has motivated people to get in touch with you and say how can i volunteer have you seen a moment where there was an uptick in i want to volunteer for the state organization or i want to get involved or i want to run i mean whatever I'll be honest, like talking about being from a rural place. And I had someone message me the other day and they said, Anderson, you know, the great thing is like you ran on it, but you haven't stopped running on it either. Like you still talk about it. You still bring up these places. And, and I tell people that like, even if you're in the reddest of rural to me, like you are still worth fighting for your vote is still worth fighting. for. People are still worth talking to because I came from a place that looked like that. And I know there are other people that look like me and, and feel the way that I, that are part of LGBTQ community that are growing up in these places that didn't get a choice. They didn't choose to grow up in a rural area, but they're there and we have to be reaching out to them. And I have found so much power and energy from young people that are from these places that are like, thank God someone sees me at the end of this. And they're fighting for someone that's just like me still in these communities. And so that's why I'm never giving up that rural message. It will never be something that folks hear me stop talking about because I'm like, opportunity everywhere. It, it's not just for like our cities and our urban communities, but I want them to have it too. And I know that all of the things that I'm talking about also impact them as well. Like broadband access is not just a rural issue. It's an urban one as well. Digital redlining has happened for when you're leaving out poor, like poor areas, right? And broadband companies have been able to do that for years now. And it's the same thing with rural areas. And I hate the phrase of the rural urban divide, to be honest with y'all. I, I really do feel like we've got to get over that because what impacts one impacts the other. So that's really been my big message that I think has impacted people a lot. All right. So what's the website? <laughs> In uh, www.ncdp.org. Uh, please find out more information about us, how to get involved, and definitely donate, y'all. Thank you for the opportunity to say that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Anderson Clayton, chair of the amazing chair of the North Carolina Democratic Party. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So many times it came up, you know, yeah, you because know, I, I had the question, like, how did you get elected at age 25? You know, but she answered that question consistently throughout the interview. Right. Nobody, you know, doing door to door in this county, that county, losing by by dozens of votes, a couple hundred votes. It, it really that that level of missed opportunity hurts and it actually has consequences. I could totally see, given where North Carolina is today, that having that message with the committee members of the state party and saying the previous regime 
didn't do what we needed to do, not just to build a party. They didn't even try to sustain the party that we had. And it has cost Democrats and the people of North Carolina dearly. So it is a breath of Let's remember, she said there were 44 seats that were left uncontested by Democrats in uh, in, I think, the state House and state uh, Senate. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that 44 seats left uncontested. I mean, you know, that's, you know, and and people have to remember, too, for every one of those seats left is left uncontested. Even if you end up losing, running someone there is worthwhile because it all goes to the top of the ticket, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's worthwhile on a local level. You want to get people out to vote. You might actually win those seats. But also... It's like, you know, it's going to it's going to lift all boats to have a con- someone contesting every one of those seats. You don't want to just give it away to Republicans for free. Yeah, it's, um, about, uh, it's about cutting the margins. And we've talked about this before. and We'll keep talking about it. We're not going to win those rural areas, but that's not the game right now. We're losing them 80, 20, 85, 15. If we made them 75, 25, there's a lot of people that live in those rural areas. And we've seen it. And if you've been tracking election results, You see it, right? Maybe cities will come in and Democrats are up by 30 points and then rurals come in and they lose. There's a lot of people. People look at the cities because a lot of people live in a small piece of land. But there's a lot of, you know, cow country where people live. But it's just massive land wise. And so you have 30. Her county is 40,000. Like multiply that by, I don't know. North Carolina has a lot of counties. It's one of those states that yeah. is, it matters. So by cutting those margins by 10%, that could have been the, the difference between us winning, you know, Chris Beasley winning the Senate seat, which would have been, right. she it's, was an amazing, amazing candidate, an amazing person. She would have been a right. credit to the Senate. You know, what would have been really interesting too um, was I, I just wonder, and I don't know the answer to this and maybe we can look it up and come back next week. But, um, but she said, but Anderson said that, uh, that more of the state there is rural than it is um, uh, urban, right? And what what Democrats have been counting on, kind of, like this is my loose understanding, is that hopefully North Carolina, the weight of like Charlotte and the and the research triangle would become heavy enough that the, the urban, there, yeah. right, the, the urban effect. density would sort of overcome <laughs> the rural areas and then it would become democratic, right? And that has kind of happened in North, in in Georgia, although I don't know what the actual balance is yeah, between rural there, Georgia. There's there's yeah. a really big black rural com- population that historically never turned out to vote, and mm-hmm. they turned out to vote in large part because Stacey Abrams well, organized so, there. And uh, yeah, it and, sounds like the, it was the organization because it's not so like it because you had Sherry people. Beasley, who was a black, you know, in North Carolina, running for Senate. She was a you know highly qualified black candidate. Um, and it sounds like, you know, they didn't get the turnout there that they would yeah. hope for among. Yeah. Among and a lot black, of that strategy, because I, I know the strategy very well. It's it's uh, the emerging Democratic majority is based on this creative class. Right. Creative people, professionals, not 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 blue collar workers. It's people who are in that creative, aid, you know, writers mm-hmm. and uh, designers and uh, scientists, people who create stuff, creative class. Right. It really assumed that Democrats would not lose more in the rural areas. So ah, it was maybe rural areas are 70-30. Yeah, you get the increased turnout in the research triangle in the cities themselves and sure. maybe make some inroads into the suburbs. But that doesn't work if that 30% you used to get in rural areas is now 15%. 
And that's that's exactly probably what happened in Georgia was that that Atlanta, Atlanta became the 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 um, sort of dominant city in the sprawling suburbs um, that that could anchor Democrats. But then because of Stacey Abrams organizing and other organizers who we talked to. Yeah. In, in right. Then they they didn't in the rural areas, they didn't lose that 70, that 30, 70 that you're talking about, 30 percent of Democrats coming out to 70 percent of Republicans. They didn't go up to like, you know, 10, 10 to 90 or something like yeah. that. Which and in fact, turned out. Yeah. yeah, right. And in fact, turned out um, pretty heavily in in the, both of the last two cycles in order to make that make sure that, um, you know, number well, both John Ossoff and um and uh, Raphael Warnock ended up, you know, are, are representing that state in the U.S. Senate. So anyway, yeah. Anderson Clayton, man, that was that was a barn burner of an interview. I mean, and not because of us, because of her. And and I just want to say uh, one more time, ncdp.org. That's North Carolina Democratic Party dot org. Right. Ncdp.org. And as she said, you need a lot of money to be creative. <laughs> When you're at the state level, <laughs> like holy crap, I'm not in, I'm not in my small town anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, ben, anyway. Winkler, ben Winkler in Wisconsin has been able to do that in in Michigan too. These are state party chairs that have completely turned around moribund state organizations. Big part of that was getting people to believe in them and their state and their party. And I think that's exactly what Anderson is starting to do. She's only had a job three months, she said. So she's brand new. But I see so much potential for her to be the next superstar Democratic Party uh, chair uh, in a critically important um, battleground state. And there's no Senate race in North Carolina next year, but the battle for the Senate is real. We may not hold the Senate after next year. The map is, is absolutely terrible. I'm hopeful that we can. So we, we need to make North Carolina competitive at the Senate level. We need more competitive Senate states. So she's going to be critically yes. important, not just next year, not just this year in her municipal yeah. races, that most of our audience probably is not just we're not, they're not going to bring themselves to care too much about that. But what matters is that that will eliminate a lot of potential Republican candidates for 2022. It will create new Democratic candidates for 2022. And it will build momentum and organizing strength for wait, Joe 2024. Biden. 2024. 2024. 2024, yeah. yeah. Joe Biden, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> it would be great to, to get North Carolina in Joe Biden's column just for, yeah. for breathing room. Uh Roy Cooper, the governor, Democratic governor, is up for re-election. There's going to be state legislative seats up for re-election. I think he's. I think he's oh, term he... limited out. Oh, is he? Okay, even I'm worse pretty sure. Than, I'm, even yeah, because he won in 2016. So we're gonna. But this is really important. I mean, this is why 20. I mean, yes, we want to build. We want to have a big success in North Carolina for. 2024 to build on for for future Senate races. But not only is that one of the only states that Democrats might have a chance to flip in 2024 in the presidential, but also who I don't I'm not sure who's running for Cooper's seat, but I, I'm pretty sure I that the Republican candidate who's announced there is like a forced birther like oh, extremist. I mean, OK, they, they, they so are. so who, who's <laughs> who's trying to walk back wanting a total abortion ban to saying he'll go for a six week like that, like like, as if oh, that's not a total he's gonna go moderate he's gonna moderate <laughs> to six weeks so anyway so anyway but like you you see the difference here between you know getting a, a you know following having a democratic su- successor to roy cooper and picking up what flipping one or two seats 
back to the Democratic pol- column, you get rid of that supermajority that they've been able to use to to jam through. You know, I mean, they're, we're never going to make up all the gains in North Carolina in like one, you know, in one cycle. But, you know, that would be that would be a huge way for Anderson to start pushing that yeah. forward. Um, and then hopefully to pick up a Senate seat and then you, you then you get gaining on momentum. Eric, thank you so much for getting her on the show. That was an amazing catch. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be excited to follow her career and lend her a hand whenever we can. She's, she's going to be, she's, uh, I think she's a future superstar for our party. Thanks for being such a great co-host. Thanks to Walter for producing the show. Thanks to uh, Paul for helping behind the scenes. Thanks to everybody who reads, watches, listens, the podcast and Daily Coast. You guys um, are amazing. I love you all. It's great to have you guys as fellow travelers in this battle for our democracy. It's never ending, unfortunately. And there's a lot of work to do, and I'm excited to be doing that work with you guys. Thank you so much. Please like, recommend, uh, let other people know about both Daily Coast and our podcast. And, uh, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.